This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. At the Manchester School of Leadership, we were recently joined by Simon Brading, who taught a session on contextualisation and cities. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of Simon's session. You can find the full notes and everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 113. So here is Simon Brading. Worship in cities. Um... We are, it's not worship. Think about your, your Sunday service, your church, your location. And it doesn't have to be a city. I'm not isolating it. It's towns, villages as well. But it's not worship in heaven yet. That will come. <coughs> it's also not worship in your bedroom on your own. We're talking about when we gather together as, as the church, we are in a location. We are in a town, in a city. We do have a calling and an earthly home in the meantime. We're a gathered community in a city. Right now we're in Manchester. And um, God has called us and sent us, even as worshippers in Christ, he has sent us with a great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Go. That's like the Great Commission, the ABC Commission to every Christian. Just go, make disciples all across you know, Judea, Samaria, make disciples. And then as you do, gather these disciples together, form communities, gather together, build churches, ecclesia, and from that, go and make more disciples. So the commission is to go and make disciples, build communities that go and make more disciples, build some communities that make more disciples. The commission wasn't go and build a church with your friends, then go and build some disciples. It was, no, it was go and make some disciples and out of that build churches. Why am I saying that? Um, that way round means that mission should keep shaping church, not church just shaping mission. The primary call was actually to go and make disciples. And then from that, gather together these communities that would make others. It wasn't just you 12, you just go and build a church together. Then maybe in a few months, maybe it might be time to go. No, going on a mission, this great commission. Um, So I want to talk a bit about what it is to be a people of mission, the way in which we build churches, and the way actually worship has a huge role in the mission of God in our cities. So... Um, I'd like to talk about two things. Um, Is it two? Uh, Let's have a look. Yeah, it's two. I'll make it two because we've got 45 minutes. You know what? I'm going to speak quite quickly just so we give some time to um, question and answer at the end. Um, I'd like to talk about what it is with people on mission. First, I want to talk about um, contextualising. That's a word we've come to use quite a bit um, at home, contextualising. What do I mean that um, by that? We're talking about contextualising the gospel. We're singing about the gospel. How do we contextualise the gospel to our location? 
And this is kind of normal ABC church planter mentality stuff. I'm sure you guys are really strong on this. You know, when Hudson Taylor went to go and take the gospel to China for quite a while, um, he didn't see that much fruit. And as you guys know, you've read your biographies. Um, one of the reasons why they didn't take him seriously is because he's a, he's a dude from obviously a Western um, place. He doesn't look Chinese, but he's wearing Western clothes, Englishman clothes. Um, and in China, that's not what they wore. It's just like, you're just not like us. It just The gospel, the message of Jesus just wasn't getting through to these Chinese people. Just didn't really listen to him, take him seriously. So what did he do? He said, while I'm here, I need to become a Chinese man. I need to dye my hair black, grow a little like ponytail. I need to wear the kind of sort of pajama sort of style clothes that they're all wearing and, and become like them. Leave my English sort of like clothes aside and become like a Chinese man. His English friends thought he was nuts. Totally ridiculed him for it. In fact, his mission, missionary agency really rejected him. But why he landed in China, now as a Chinese man, as, as best as he could dress himself at least and look, what started to happen? The gospel started to bear fruit. People started to take the guy seriously. And if you think about it, that story shouldn't surprise you that much. If you go to the pub tonight to watch the football and do loads of shots with Tim, or who's doing it? I can't remember. Tom. Tom, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, which I don't endorse. Um, <laughs> and in, in walked a guy who was wearing um, uh, just a big black sack. No, a, a big Hessian sack, you know, like a big postman sack like that. Just walked in and just started to proclaim a whole worldview that was completely different to yours and a God and a whole way of things you should be thinking. A, you're not going to take him seriously because we have strong, firm beliefs, we know the truth. But one of the reasons you won't take him seriously is he's just dressed like a weirdo. Like, he's clearly like, you're off your rocker, mate. You're not from around here. What people look like, we actually make judgments on all the time. Two things, we make judgments on what people look like and people's accents. You can quite quickly just pigeonhole someone in, in a few seconds just on hearing their voice, the way they speak. Are they posh? Do they sound common? Do they look smart? Do they spend money on their clothes? You know, all those kinds of things. So although it sounds very superficial is actually can be the thing that stops people receiving your message or not. Now, is the Holy Spirit bigger than some clothes? Of course he is. But we know that in terms of the way that people received, even just looking at Hudson Taylor, there's an openness just to receiving what someone has to say or not. But it's not just looking at Hudson Taylor. This is obviously the way of the Apostle Paul. If you think about in 1 Corinthians 9, um, I'm going to quickly just borrow your, your Bible. Actually, it's fine. You know that little bit in, in towards the end of 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul says, hey, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek, to those under the law I became as one under the law. I became all things to all men. Why? In order that I might win them. So it wasn't just like, no, this is my vibe, deal with it. I'm this kind of person. No, when he was hanging out with Jewish people, he'd become like them in order that he can win them. When he's hanging out, he's, I would become like them in order that I can win them for the gospel. Um, he, he was contextualizing his message, even who he was, to the people he was with in order that he might bear fruit and win them. So again, this is normal ABC church planter mentality stuff, um, but not just Hudson Taylor, the possible, just looking at Christ 
Christ didn't just stay apart from us and different to us. He became like us in order that he might win us. He contextualized God to humanity in, in an ultimate sense. He became human. He became like us so that he might win us. A few lessons just on that. Contextualization for the gospel is A, essential, but B, painful. It costs Christ to leave heaven and put on flesh. It costs Paul to become like different types of people. It costs Hudson Taylor to just choose to become more like a child. His whole mission agency just didn't get him, didn't understand him, just judged him. But it's actually what Christ has sent us to do, to go and, and reach people and connect people. This is our ministry. I don't know what you say your ministry is. I do kids ministry. I do worship ministry. No, our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. He's given us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. I lead worship on Sundays. Like, but I don't say I am a worship leader, period. That's what I do. No, I lead worship on Sundays. I teach on worship now and then. But really, God's given me the ministry of reconciliation to my neighbours, the people around me, to other people who might come across my songs. And same for you. We, he's called us to go um, and also to go and contextualise. So we, we think like this as church planters. If we're going to go and plant a church in Turkey or going to plant a church in Paris, you know, we wouldn't apply the same things that work in Manchester to a Muslim community in Turkey. No, we have to think about the community. You know, all this kind of normal stuff. What I'm going to suggest now is how we think about the culture that God sent you to. God sent me to Brighton in the UK. He sent you to towns and cities. These towns and cities actually also have a culture. Brighton is actually very different to London, which is different to like, you know, Brighton's very different to Manchester. There are things that make Brighton, Brighton. And when we're building church and leading worship in, in this city, I'm trying to think, how do I become a Brightonian? that I might win some, what are the stumbling blocks that are going to stop this person really receiving Jesus? What are the wineskin issues here? It's not the main thing. It's not the gospel that's a stumbling block. It's just the way we've dressed it. We don't change the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that it transcends every culture and every, um, every age, every century. The gospel is like multi-generational, multicultural. There's no culture or nation, there's no square inch of the earth that you can't reach. But the way in which we package the gospel, the way we dress it, is, is different for every, um, for every age. Which is partly what I was saying earlier about uh, a movement should look different 40 years later because the culture's changed. Has the values and the DNA, should that be different? No. The things that we hold to, the gospel, should stay the same. So, how do we apply worship in cities to worship? You know, what, what's the deal here? This is a day on worship. Why are we talking about planting churches? Um, this is a, a way of just thinking which has been new to me in the last sort of decade. I mean, I've, yeah. It's an important what a mindset for worship leaders to have, and I also think for church leaders, particularly when it comes to, um, to worship. And also, when we look in the Bible, Paul does sort of go there a little bit. So I guess two things I'd like to say, um, contextualising-wise. Contextualising, another way that I use this for our worship team, is just dressed native. 
Um, music. Actually, before I even give these examples, here's what I'd say. Um, very often, actually, that's, I can't make that claim. I, what's it like for an unsaved person, a completely unsaved person, with no church upbringing, they didn't go to Stanley, they didn't go to all these places, they haven't been to Catalyst, you know, just, just no reference point at all, to come into your church service. What's it like for them? What's it like at each point? The worship time, communion, the preach, giving. What's it like for that person? That person there is, is the person that your church is, and my church has been sent to reach, to go, go and engage, to love, to bring the message of Jesus. When I think back in, in our church, so often we can do things, say things that can totally isolate that person totally isolate them more than that can actually be a real offense to them a total offense and because of that they think i'm never coming back here and they never get to receive christ and the thing that offended them wasn't even jesus it was just something we were doing and we didn't need to and so one of the questions as a team brian we try and address is how can we make sure we are removing every stumbling block to the gospel and just make sure it's christ that does the offending not us and some of those actually come out um in worship but i'll just give you an example uh, not a worship example um uh, brighton as you probably know is has got a green council it's very green um so green light is the heartbeat of our city and when you go around brighton you can feel that and being a vegetarian um where i grew up in surrey we used to laugh at vegetarians we used to think, come on, didn't you know? Like God says, um, all foods are clean. You know, like Peter, the thing came down from heaven. And there's like all meat, it's fine. What, why, why are you a vegetarian? Maybe you can connect with that, I don't know. Um, but we just used to laugh at that. Why would you be a vegetarian? In Brighton, being a vegetarian is like, that's like half of our city. Lots of vegetarian restaurants. Vegetarian shoes, vegetarian clothes, you know, like non-leather, all these sorts of things. So we have Easter Sunday. We have a big sort of celebration, like, right, it's Easter. We have a hog roast on the pavement outside our church, rotating. You know, like the full-on, like, pig with, like, a thing in its mouth. With scores of just people walking past. There would be about 120,000 vegetarians right now in Brighton that currently aren't going to heaven, who are, who are dead in their sin, who needs Jesus. In that moment, have we given them a community and a home to come and be part of? No, they hate our church. Well, you know, the handful that walk past it would. We in generally don't have, we have good relationships with people in our city. If we were thinking a little bit more contextually, you know, we were arriving in Brighton with a blank sheet of paper, let's be church planters in Brighton, would we have a big hog roast on, on the front of our building? No, of course we wouldn't. Are we saying that eating meat is bad and sinful? No. Jesus has said, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. He's made all foods clean, but are there ways of doing it that are a bit more sensitive? Yes, of course there are. So it's a silly example, but kind of poignant. Just something like that will stop somebody coming to our church. But it's not Jesus that's done the offending. 
Now, for us to stop serving meat as a church, that would be painful for me. But contextualising is painful. It's about laying aside your preferences, things you want, where you want things to be, in order that you can serve people and win them. So Anna and I have really seriously considered becoming vegans just because there's such a strong community, even around us where we live. I don't want to be a vegan. Like, I really don't. But there's like a, a really tight community that I, they're just not, I'm never going to be part of. And it's not out of a place of need, like, oh, please accept me. It's like, no, you need Jesus. So, in that example, but then if I bring it to music, I'm just going to talk about Brighton a little bit, but um, you, you'll hopefully hear some examples. Music, we want people to walk in to our Sundays to feel at home musically. Brighton in particular has a real big, many diverse musical cultures. We've got BIM, big like musical college, um, with thousands of people come and do music. There's like, you, any night of the week, you go to like three or four gigs and all totally different styles of music, really diverse. What is it that represents the Brighton music scene? It's like creativity and diversity. Loads of different genres and just authenticity as well. Just go and be yourself. So I go out quite regularly to different gigs in Brighton and really just like connecting with just different music that's out there and come to a Sunday morning and A, the the bands often might sound like not even half as good as the ones that are in Brighton, pretty shoddy and haven't really rehearsed, but the style and sound of music is actually nothing like what our city really listens to and enjoys. It's a sound from like 20 years ago and sort of kind of come out of Nashville and, and Hillsong. So our music isn't native to our city. Even off the bat, one of these BIM students comes into our church. They're like, I kind of like this place, but the music's sort of interesting. But, you know, like, music's a big deal in our city. Are we thinking, how can we contextualise the gospel in our worship just musically to our city? Language, secondly. Connecting just culturally. Like, language. This has taken me ages to get um, just the way that we speak, there's so many like Christianese churchisms that we say, which actually you would just never talk like that if you're down the pub with your neighbour. And if you've got the same group of people in the same room on a Sunday morning, the same hundred people every week, six, seven, eight, nine years later, you, you will start to almost have your own subculture, but not even realise it. Whereas the culture could have moved on, we're kind of in a little bit of a bubble. And we can have all kinds of... You know, like churches have just little ways of talking and catchphrases and things. And the thing is, it's actually quite hard to detect because it comes out so just naturally and, and normally. You, you almost don't know when you do it, when you don't. So we've had a, a, one of our elders got saved at 27. So a little bit you know, later, I wasn't a youth group kid like me. He got saved out of real secular Brightonian like lad and then 10 years later he's one of our elders leading one of our sites but he's like when I came to your church 10 years ago I just I just so much stuff I just didn't get which is weird just really weird just the way you spoke different things like that and I'm realizing as a worship leader there are ways of leading the meeting which actually if you were sitting in that pew and you didn't know anything about God you wouldn't understand anything Now, obviously, for somebody who is not redeemed in Christ, there's only so far they can go. They're not really going to properly participate in the worship. But there are ways of just hosting a meeting where you're actually speaking to that person 
and the Christian. So I've had to learn of my language just to be a bit more normal, which has actually meant I've had to get out a bit more. I've had to hang out with some more just non-Christians. Just, you know, like if we're, we're pastors, we work for a church, we feel very comfortable with other pastors and other Christians. Put us in a room with lots of non-Christians. Sometimes that might be an uncomfortable zone for you. Well, we need to learn to live in that zone just more and more, particularly if you're a public voice on a Sunday, just that the language that comes out is just more what people are used to. When they walk in, they're like, ah, oh, I get this person. Anybody ever seen The Simpsons? Uh, one of the characters from there, Ned Flanders. He's, he's The Simpsons' neighbour. He's a devout churchgoer. in a a sort of harsher way he's kind of your classic kind of like goody goody total like square Um, he's like howdly howdly you know praise the lord and everything and and it's almost a bit disgusting he's just like you know what a nerd but we do realise that's how a lot of culture sees the church and um, one of the answers to that even just as worship leaders we get into this we, we can just shut our eyes and just like imagine um and we can just say weird things. We just don't need to do that. Imagine you've got your kind of 24-year-old scaffolder lad who off a building site who just sort of saw an, an advert to an alpha course. Help that guy understand Jesus. Talk to him at his level. Even in the way we, we host meetings is important. Thirdly, like music language, um, just close. Very easy to get into a church um, culture. Um, Do people feel isolated by what you wear? Or actually, do you look like the people you're trying to reach? You're thinking like a missionary. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not hugely. I think for us in Brighton, because Brighton's central Brighton is so creative, it's quite upstream sort of culturally, um, it's quite easy for some of those guys to walk into our church and feel like I don't belong here. Like people with dreadlocks, tattoos, really kind of wacky clothes, walk into a church full of kind of white middle class people all dressed fairly normally, they would then quickly feel, oh, I don't belong here. This, is, this isn't a place for me. So we have to make steps, even as a leadership team, as a worship team, just to look a bit more like the people we're trying to reach, just to be good, effective missionaries, um, just, just to look like them. And you think, oh, you know, why are you being so, um, why are you worried about clothes? Why are you being so superficial? This is about Jesus, about our hearts. But in what God's called us to do is to go and make disciples and to reach people. And these are some of the stumbling blocks for some people. Um, So it's it's not actually as superficial as we make it. It, it, What we wear um, does speak volumes about who we are. I'll take that as about stupid. What we wear speaks volumes about who we are. No, it doesn't. What I mean is um, what we wear actually to other people can be the stumbling block to like I get you, you're one of me or I don't belong here and it's a shame that something as simple as clothes can be the reason that someone doesn't come to Christ so it's important normal thinking so that's contextualising, just being dressed native the second thing would be intelligible uh, understandable um, so in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20 to 25 I mentioned this verse earlier Paul talks about when the whole church comes together and there's that phrase And all of you are speaking in tongues, no interpretation, and an unbeliever comes amongst you, they will call judgment. I think, what is going on here? Walk out and call judgment on themselves. Whereas if everyone's prophesying, the secrets of the heart be disclosed, surely God is among you. Um, What's he saying there? There's There's a matter here of intelligibility that's important to Paul. And actually, it's all the way through 1 Corinthians 14. 
Don't let there be a tongue without interpretation. Yeah, it's good for you to be built up. Good for you. No one else understands. If you're going to speak in tongues, gosh, let there be an interpretation. Me, I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's not the problem. It's more make sure there's interpretation, make people understand. Understand. I uh, read a book recently that was so helpful in this, that coming into a church for an unsafe person, sitting through a church service, is similar experience to you going to a betting store if you've never been before. You walk in, there's some people sitting over there, there's a screen up there, there's some people over here, who do I go and speak to? No one's really coming to speak to me. Do I go over there? What do I do? You feel very self-conscious. Some people are like cheering, like, okay, what do I do? Church can be like this for people. You can walk into church. Worship can be like this for people. People just feel very isolated and, and don't really know what to do. We want to help make sure even our worship times are actually intelligible. That aren't cuckoo. That don't just leave people like, what on earth? Even ways of hosting meetings, opening up meetings, where yes, you want to engage the heart of the Christian and you want to help do all the things I said earlier, just realign their heart with truth, but you also want to throw your arms open to the people on the back row who've never been to church before, you want to throw them a couple of sentences to help them feel um, welcome. Right the way through the service, I'm, I'm literally speaking to that person on the back row, and if I get my language right for them, I know I'll cover everyone else. But if I speak to the guy in the front row, i.e. the leader or the elder, I'm in danger of isolating lots of people. It's just good um, intelligibility stuff. So I guess to give some examples... Um, yeah, there is there's behaviour around uh, worship that does need just explaining. So if you're from a, a, a charismatic background, maybe like a New Frontiers background, we'd have a song like that we just sung, The Fall of Throne of God, maybe two or three songs. If it's a meeting like this, might just sort of just pause for a moment. And, you know, there's no amp, I haven't got a mic here. And if, did you hear different people start to sing in the spirit a little bit? Uh, maybe someone might pipe up with a prayer. Someone might just, we might start to sing in tongues together. We know how to do that. We've been in prayer meetings. That's kind of part of who we are. For somebody else to walk into that environment has got no idea what's going on. They've not, they've not had that experience. They've not had that life in the, the spirit. They didn't go to all the conferences and Bible weeks that we went to. They've got nothing. And so you can look at somebody not engaged with singing in the spirit, not like engaged, and you can make a judgment like, oh, you know, they're, they're obviously less of a mature Christian, or they don't love God as much as I do. But it might just be they just haven't been taught how to do what you're doing. And we are isolating people in the way that we, we can isolate people in the way we're leading. So I've learned in those moments where before I could just step back and just let people just sing out in the spirit, we've had letters from some people to say, Really love your church. I love the worship time especially. But what happened after the second song? Everyone started to just sing, but there were no words on the screen. It really freaked me out. What was going on? Interesting. For everyone else in the room, it's a glorious, precious moment of intimacy. For this unbeliever, it freaked them out. Now, were they wrong? Come on, get with it. No, Paul says... 1 Corinthians 14, 21, when the whole church comes together, unbeliever comes amongst you. Don't all be speaking in tongues at the same time. They're going to like, what on earth is going on? And just walk out and think, oh, there's nothing going on here. And because of that, call judgment on themselves. 
There's an issue here of just intelligibility, of just explaining things. So I've learned now, even when I can feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing stuff out of the room, I will say that. Just as the band keep playing, why don't you just sing to God your own song? That kind of line would go by, no one would even register it, but I'm throwing a, a lifeline to the person who's got no idea what's going on. We must think like this as, as pastors and as worship leaders, otherwise we can just lead into what's odd. Does that mean we like have to explain every single nuance of the meeting? No, because that's actually that can be quite clunky. Um, you have to kind of have some discernment in it. Sometimes when we have a tongue, what, like for example, whenever we have a tongue, we would explain that at the end of the worship time. Hey, you might have noticed just halfway through that somebody prayed out in a language that wasn't English. What was that? The Bible calls that the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit comes inside us, causes us to pray from a deep place. As you might have heard our friend Jenny, she prayed out in English office. That was an interpretation. And God does this for identification. And wasn't it powerful in that moment? That's what it was. We're just helping people understand that these aren't a bunch of fruit loops. We're removing the barriers that will stop people. We're not removing tongues. We're, re- we're just helping people understand it. Do you have um, the whole church singing in tongues and you explain it, or do you? Yeah, great. Do you not have it because Paul said don't do it? Um, he doesn't say don't have the whole church singing in tongues. Okay, speaking. Yeah. yeah. So I think there would be times at the ends of songs or just moments where it's just a, a wave of revelation has come at the end of those songs and it's just you can see people want to bubble up with the song and I know around the room some people will be singing in tongues some people will just be singing in English um, I wouldn't say on the mic let's all sing in tongues now but if there are I'm not going to say don't do that you naughty people like, I'm, but I, what I will do is, is nudge it along with some words of explanation but not like there's a way of explaining which can be quite clinical when I'm going to shut the thing down like okay one sec so what's actually happening here there's a, the Holy Spirit's here we're singing like, that's not helpful um, you kind of want to nudge it forward but with some explanation um, I think in, in our prayer meetings like we are a charismatic Holy Spirit church and we will storm the heavenly realms in tongues in English and we will explain that and we, that's one of the ways in which we're leading people into it hey there's more to the Christian life than you think come and grab a load of this um, but we wouldn't necessarily do that on a Sunday morning um, in the same way um, so that's just for example that'd be some behaviour um, around it other people just don't, don't have a clue so we want to disciple and teach people into worship Worship times are disciple-making opportunities for, for your congregation, but also for your cities. Um, options just to just keep weekly, just teaching people what worship is. I mean, we've, we've had like an hour and a half earlier when I'm sort of teaching on spirit and truth. But I'll be drip-feeding stuff every Sunday, just help people understand what, what we're doing right now. Um, and it's not just for the congregation, it's for the people on the back row who don't understand um, what's going on. So just being aware, simple lines of explanation, um, yeah, like diffusing awkwardness, just making things normal. You know, sometimes around the Holy Spirit and, and the manifest presence of God, um, we can, we can get, like, change our voice a little bit and we can sort of tread really carefully and sort of tiptoe. And there's a sense where sometimes, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is, is bringing a real sense of reverence and there's a holy kind of tiptoeing which is appropriate before God. But sometimes it isn't that. It's just we just sort of get all kind of like nervous around it, just be quiet. You don't actually have to do that. I remember John Wimber was really strong on this. There'd be moments where like the Holy Spirit would be there, like just so powerfully and ministering. 
and he'll be like, right, well, let's take a tea break. We'll be back in 20 minutes. You can't do that. You have to transition it really carefully and you have to you know, use the clutch to change the gear and like, land the plane carefully and dial down the keyboard gently. Um, and one of our, this guy actually who got saved at 27, he, he's, he's just so normal at this that he leads one of our sites, our premier, in such a normal way normal in a good way in just a, your average bloke on a street way but in a heavenly godly way too um, so he still brings faith and expectation but there's just a normality to him that you can connect with the every, everyday guy like in a pub so um, you're just helping with people uh, making it intelligible understandable um, you're removing cultural um, barriers to people really enjoying and receiving Jesus and um, removing unnecessary like offences. This has been a long journey like over the last 10 years and we keep like just trying to get it right um, because we, we want to be true to our expression of, of who we are, who God's made us to be um, but also trying with all our might to, to reach people and to save them. And it's important we don't see that as selling out Oh, you're just selling out. You know, sometimes we just sort of, sort of see seeker services as sort of like, um, as, as so bad, but it's like, well, God has actually called us to reach those people. There is a way of really loving Jesus and, and reaching people um, at the same time. And then we can just end up isolating people. So, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things I would say is just take a step back from this. And I probably should have said this at, uh, 45 minutes ago. Um, I think every church expresses mission slightly differently. So, for example, 15 years ago, the way our church did mission was we had like mission weeks where we'd go into neighbourhoods, <laughs> clean up loads of people's gardens, do like a big like open air like thing, and then from that we would invite people to Alpha Course. And if they made it through Alpha Course, then they made it to a Sunday. But the front door to our church, if you're unsaved, was really Alpha. And was really, those mission weeks was like big ways of scattering into the city. And one of the things that's changed in the last sort of 10 years is just the realisation our Sundays are a massive front door to our city. When you've got like fantastic preaching from the Bible, you've got Stuart Townley or Lou like leading worship. These are great events that unsaved people can come to and saved people can just feed from. Can we see the missional opportunity just of our Sunday services as a front door to our city? It's, it's really huge. Simon's just leaving because he disagrees with everything I'm saying. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he said earlier he has to leave. Have a good time, mate. Um, can we see there's, the Sundays are a front door to our city? Yes, it's the gathered community. Yes, it's you being built together as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. But have you realised there's a fringe of loads of people? And to be honest, what we found was when we didn't think like that, we would do loads of mission on these mission weeks. We have loads of people on Alpha. People get to Sundays and it would scare the heck out of them. Hour-long worship times with not much explained, yet great preaching for like a whole hour, but lots of people just didn't make it through. If you look at our statistics from uh, 94 to 2004, our church membership stayed literally the same for, for 10 years. Um, and you've got the same people in the same room, and it's quite a lot of people too, eight, 900 people, and you feel like a very good, big, impressive church world-class preaching world-class worship leaders you feel like you're smashing it but honestly we weren't actually really impacting our city 
So when we started to think, hey, is there a way we could still have the same DNA on our Sundays, but just think about the unsaved people a bit more, quite quickly our fringe grew and we started people seeing saves weekly. And we've planted like three whole sites, we have four sites now, and our membership's a lot higher than it was, we started to grow. But as I said, it's not been without pain. Contextualising is painful. You start changing church, it's like, what have you done? You've ch- I'm leaving. You know, it's true, isn't it? If you start to change worship expression, it is painful. And it's important to acknowledge that. It is. Because um, that's people's rhythm of meeting with God each week. Is through that. You mess with that. You mess with God. You're like, what have you done? So, yeah, it's not been pain-free. But it's been very fruitful. And we believe just realigning with um, just what we read in Scripture. And I think just to say, just to honour that, um, I don't, I don't, no one looks back at that era and think we were all wrong and is everything wrong no the call of our church was to restore the church you know with Terry and what, prophetically what we've been doing and we've planted lots of churches around the world um, out of that church so <laughs> don't hear what I'm not saying but in terms of our local mission in Brighton we've just got sharper for Sundays but it has um, big outworking in terms of the way we lead our meetings and particularly lead worship any questions on that no great let's take a little break <laughs> Worship in cities. We're not worshiping in heaven yet. We're not worshiping in a bedroom. We are in attention. We are in attention. If everybody in Manchester was a Christian, our meetings would look very differently, wouldn't they? It'd be lovely. But he has called us to go and reach people. Obviously, you're in a very large city, so my question is: Have, have you? Is there one culture in Brighton, or is that an age-specific? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we have got. Um, f- yeah, yeah. No, no, sure, sure. Um, we've got four sites, and even where the sites are based, it's very different. So Shoreham, lots of families, lots of kids. When people grow up out of Central Brighton, can't afford to buy a house, they tend to go over that way or out to the other side where the racecourse is. Racecourse has a massive catchment area, including some very poor areas and some other cheaper areas that live, um, but still very rich people there as well. But Shoreham is like just familyville, and you've got kind of Brighton and Hove in the middle. But even those cultures are very different. So over here in Shoreham, their vision is to touch 100 families in Shoreham. And since they planted in five years, they've touched 34. 34 whole families have come in to that site and got saved, which is incredible. Um, but Central Brighton, they're like... There's less families, so it's still quite a few, but slightly different demographic. So contextualising to these local places is slightly different. Here's one thing I would say that across the board we think about. We do intentionally try and build church that doesn't isolate men. Now that could sound like a sexist comment. Let me explain it. Um, When Jesus gathered together disciples, he gathered 12 guys, and from that, he raised up and built church, and partly like a male eldership thing, I know different churches might be different on that. But when you look at who goes to church in the UK, it's mostly children, lots of people looking at statistics, stop going to church at sort of teenagers around 15, and it's mostly older people, and lots of mums and, and women. The main demographic in the UK, people who don't go to church, are dads, men. 
And there's a book that we, we came across recently, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And if you look at the way some churches are run, you can actually see why men don't like being there. Just lots of kind of like sway worship, lots of intimacy, lots of relational conversation, which might actually typically be things that men don't connect with. Like, they just make me feel uncomfortable. But out of all these demographics, if there's one that, like, isn't, we're not reaching, that can't be right. Particularly as Jesus cares about this demographic too. So it's not like we, we prize men over women. Not, that's not a deal at all. We want men and women and children. But also, if a child gets saved, the chances that mum and dad get saved too... I can't quote the exact numbers, but the ballpark would be around like the kind of 5% mark. If a woman gets saved, like the wife, the chances that the family gets saved are around like the 20% mark. If the dad in the family gets saved, the chances that the whole family comes to get saved are around 82%. That there's a headship family thing, which is obviously in the Bible, which we just can't ignore. And it's not that we don't want women and children to, to come to know Jesus or we want to build churches with it. Not at all. It's that there's a demographic, it's like an unreached people group in Brighton of 18 to 30-year-old men who will never be seen dead in a church. No thank you. What do they need? They need Christ in their lives. So one of the things we'll particularly think about, we will think through the lens of, um, is this really going to isolate that guy? And it's not, just to re-emphasise again, it's not that like, they are the most important person, but it's almost like they're too important to not get amongst everybody else that we're reaching as a community. So we do like, intentionally think about how we, we... Sorry, we do intentionally try not to isolate guys just because we know so many guys don't go to church and we need to bring them in. And to be honest, that, that has, hasn't been met with resistance We've got families in our church with teenage sons who aren't in church. So when we're saying we want to make a church for your kids, they're like, yes, please do, bring them in. We've got families, mums and dads who come to our church, and like, oh, I wish my sons would come to this church, but they're at university now ruining their lives. Um, so we want to try and engage with that demographic and, and, and find a way of just doing church that particularly doesn't isolate them. And, and it comes out, I guess, most pointedly in worship, um, yeah, just the ways that we speak, the ways in which we just can be quite just... Um, there are things, that even the song choices. Uh, I wasn't planning to say all this, but there's, 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 certain, <laughs> there's certain lyrics with, that were just not helpful for guys. If you've just walked off a building site and you read some of these lyrics, like, yeah, certain worship songs, certain lyrics can easily be about something else. Intimacy... And it could actually be quite a turn-off to a guy who just think this is really odd. So I have tried to think through our, even our song lyrics just through the lens for some of those guys. Does that make sense? This might be the first time I've ever heard anything like this and be totally offensive to you, but we're, as, as best we can, trying to um, reach our city. It's uh, kind of ties into the last, last session from a discipleship perspective and this session from a missional perspective uh, and like reaching an unbeliever. Um, the, the source of the songs that we're picking, where they come from, the church they come from, the songwriters themselves. So I'm thinking, where are uh, the people learning their theology? But also, 
non-believable thing. Things that I like the tune and that takes a picture of the lyrics, goes and Googles it and then send down it, going somewhere. Um, how much, or how, how high is your guard to where some songs might come from? As in churches that may be theologically not quite the same as or songwriters come down from. And um, yeah, are you quite open? And, yeah. yeah. I don't really mind where a song comes from, I just care about the song. So we don't have a no entry sign to a certain movements, because even certain movements that we don't align with theologically at all have actually popped out of the old song now and then think, you know what, that's a great song. Let's receive that one. Let's not take those three. This one's the one. So I, it's not like we, d- we have a no entry sign on certain, like, where stuff comes from, I don't mind. even songwriters. Um, but it, it's like a case-by-case case of the song. Now, there might be some movements or some albums or worship leaders that in general we align with more than others and in general the stuff they would sing we would kind of typically sing so um, the door is kind of a bit more open more automatically for some of those people um, yeah I mean we, we personally just trying to write as many Emmanuel songs as we can and that have come out of just New Day and other things um, yeah so I feel like our expression locally of what we believe is coming best out of the songs that we've written. Because, um, you know, missionally, contextually, we are in our city, we get our people, we know what they want sound-wise, so we're, we're writing like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get it with younger worship leaders on our sites, oh, can we do this one? And I think I could be a bit sharper at teaching what I've taught you to, to our worship leaders more regularly because we're so bringing through worship leaders quickly who are just feeding from all kinds of streams. I don't want to keep being the bad guy all the time that says no. Um, and in fact, some sites might just do it anyway without, without thinking, oh, I need to run through Simon. Um, but yeah, in general, I wouldn't mind where they come from. Just make it important to sit down and have the conversation. I think just saying no isn't very helpful for a worship leader. Sorry, no, we don't do that one here. It's actually, you can come across a bit too negatively in a way you don't need to. It's a real discipleship moment. You know, we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. You can help someone's mind change on some issues, help them just think a bit better, give them a a stronger bridge to think through when they're choosing worship songs. And sorry, one other thing I'll say is, persuade me why we should do this song to a worship leader. Help them build up an argument for it. Go on. Just think about Shoreham. Um, side, which sounds more family-oriented. Yeah. So, um, presumably that means you've got families, children, all together at some point. Yeah. Not at others. So how does, how does worship work in that context? Yeah, great. Even in our, our biggest site on New England Street in Central Brighton, we'd still have the kids in once a month. We've done it loads of different ways over the years. <clears throat> I think Shoreham have kids worship in first Sunday of the month. The kids will be in for like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, same at New England, we actually tie it in with baptisms. They have baptisms once a month, um, so the kids are being exposed to baptisms um, as well. Um, we will pick what we call family songs, which is different to kids' songs. Some kids' songs make it into the family kit like bracket. Some of them don't. That, that's just something that needs to stay with the five-year-olds. That's just not going to help anyone. Um, uh, here's, a, here's a great example, by the way, of the contextualising thing from earlier. Ten years ago, it's like, hey, the kids are in, we're all going to do kids songs, come on everyone, let's do the actions together. Here's the you're not doing the actions, come on, do the actions. If you're that kind of 24-year-old guy who's walked in, you're like, I'm not doing that. 
even like some of the Christian dads in the room just like, this is my worst bit of the meeting. You're making me do this again. Like, I'm done. So now I've learned to say, hey, you might, I'd stop the song after the first chorus. You might know some people doing actions this song. We've got some people at the front who are doing the actions to help engage the kids. They're not compulsory, don't worry, but it's a great opportunity as a church family to lead our kids in worship. Join in if you want to. So I'm giving people an out and an in. Like, it's fine. I'm still sort of saying it'd be good to do it, but don't worry if you don't want to. Um, so yeah, we, we would go for some family songs. Um, we've got lots of high energy songs that the kids, we do in the kids' work. But I've tried over um, years as well to lean into more worshipful songs, not just high energy praise with the kids, but the songs like the Here I Am to Worships. Well, actually, when we've done this in the kids' work, um, always amazes me just the, the capacity kids have for worship. Um, so we have worship in the kids' work once a month. And we have worship um, upstairs with the adults once a month. And ideally, it's kind of every other week. Um, yeah, so a worship leader or a little band will go into the kids' work and lead, lead a little worship time. Sometimes it's three songs, sometimes it's like five. Um, but the aim is to move beyond just high-energy praise to a, a place of intimacy with the kids. Um, how do you do contextualisation if you've got worship leaders from kind of other cultural backgrounds? So... For example, you had an African or a South American person leading worship. Would you be trying to get them to do Brighton-style worship, or would you be saying, bring a bit of who you are, your own musical flavour? Yeah, great question. Fantastic. We were talking about this earlier over lunch. Um, We we have this at the moment. We've got, in one of our sites, um, a lady uh, from Italy, and her thing is classical guitar. She sits and plays classical guitar really beautifully and she sings these lovely worship songs. It's like nothing like what we would normally kind of be used to. Um, We have to think about how we're dressing ourselves for the people that we reach. To the people who are from our culture but just still listen to music from Nashville. You need to stop just listening to that. Listen to what your city's listening to but also just people who've come from completely different cultures. Um, We need to think, that's amazing that God has brought someone to us and might even in that culture being a really gifted worship leader. Uh, But in in Italy, well, that's the way in which they worshipped and they should because that's the kind of music they listen to when they're in uh, Italy. When we do that over here in Shoreham, it just doesn't really connect. And we could just say, oh no, but let her be her. Well, we could do that. But I think it's actually going to connect, like, who she is isn't an Italian guitarist. Who she is is God's daughter. Can't make that connection too hard. That's who I am. No, it's not. You're primarily God's daughter. You're not like, I have to play my guitar like this. It's like, no, you can lay that down. So, we, like, we've, we've had to kind of work through it a little bit. Because sometimes we can sort of play that card, like, no, we need to just let them be them. It's like, yeah, but I'm not sure culturally that's actually helping our mission right now. That could actually be isolating. And it could be. It's really beautiful. So we found some contexts where we've, we've deployed her to do her thing, and it's been brilliant. Um, yeah, another thing just on that... I would, in the same way I was saying, just contextually, you've got to think about the city you're reaching. It isn't always right. Just because someone's in your church from a different culture, just come and do what you do on, on this stage on a Sunday. Um, yeah, 
I, I don't think we would do that. Would it change that, just to push back a little bit? Let's say the community you were in, you saw 25% of the people who lived there were from maybe that minority cultural background. Absolutely. Absolutely. The reality is, like to be honest with you, Brighton is quite a white city. When I go to London and get on Tube, I am definitely a minority. As a white Englishman, I'm a minority to everyone in this Tube. And I go to my friends' churches in London, they're like, gospel choirs and all kinds of stuff. I think, you, you must do that. But actually, for our city, it, it wouldn't work. Now, if your city is made up as metropolitical, metropolitan, that's the one, um, and multicultural, that should be part of your, your missional strategy of your worship team. You should have five different bands who all just sound completely different, just touching this, this community. You should blend them together. You know, like, that should be part of it. Um, yeah. Did you have a question? Yeah, so um, I completely agree with what you're saying about contextualisation, the culture you're in. But do you think at the other end of the extreme, Christians can sort of overdo it? They can try too hard to be something they're not. And my perception is that non-Christians always see through that very fast. So, like, I'm in Northumberland. Everyone knows as soon as I open my mouth that I'm a Londoner. (laughs) 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 Say what? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So kind of not, you know, I mean, I can sort of turn on on the joy accent of beer and say just a few words, you know, but actually I'm a Londoner, they all know that. Yeah. And I guess I've just got to sort of go with that. Um, and I, I suppose I've seen over the years some sort of really silly examples of, you know, you know, like I've seen like a fifty-year-old who's involved in the youth works who's sort of trying to dress like a teenager, and actually the teenagers see through it and they just kind of want to see Yeah, yeah. So I, I just wonder if you can go too far. Oh, definitely, and I think. I think looking over the years, we've really fudged it. Sometimes, just like some people, or like I have, you just sort of, you, 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 the heart is right, but you can sort of miss it a little bit. Um, I think God's called you to where you are to think, right, He's called somebody with a southern accent to another place. That's good. Be secure in God's call. Be a Londoner here. Um, I guess it's more um, where it's come out best. It's not just me trying out some things on a Sunday, but it comes out of my life, who I'm living with, the unsafe people around me. Um, Anna went to BIM six years ago. We felt God call us, really, to the unsafe musicians of our city. So Anna went to this music college. I mean, she, she graduated a master's degree as well. So romantic, isn't it? They must. Um, but she, she went to BIM, and, and that year I decided, this year I'm going to ditch a lot of my Christian friends and I'm going to spend as much time as I can this year with her classmates all the songwriters that she's with. I didn't ditch them, you know, I was just, just going to hang out with them slightly less. And just hanging out with them as many times as I could in a week, going out to gigs, going out to pubs, getting to know them, it just rubbed off on me on a Sunday in a fairly natural way. If I looked on at these people on the street and oh, I need to look like that or sound like that and then just sort of tried it out on a Sunday, it wouldn't have come from the same place of like authenticity. So I think it can, you can go too far. Um, with it, but I think try and let it come out of your life and your relationships with people um, for, for it to be natural. 
Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder that you can find the full notes on everything that Simon said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 113. See you next time.